Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Learn your niche or your market or whatever you do and be the best rubber eraser maker that there is out there. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today we are joined by Joe Riley. Today's episode is brought to you by BAM Capital, a trusted multifamily syndicator that has never missed a preferred payment and never lost an LP's investment. To learn more about investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com or click the link in the show notes. I first interviewed Joe on this podcast in an episode that aired on March 2nd, 2022, episode 2738, The Innovative Strategy to Scale Military Short-Term Rentals, featuring Joe Riley. I'm very interested in some of the conversation we can have today based on what has changed both for Joe and his business and in the short-term rental market since March of 2022. Joe is based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's the CEO of Patriot Family Homes. He is focused in the short-term rental space. They focus on non-vacation utility markets, and their current portfolio consists of just over 550 units in 13 states, ranging from Ohio, the greater part of the Southeast, and somewhat into the Southwest as well. Joe, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. Like a lot of real estate guys, I actually got my start in the military and had some extra time on my hands and was deployed in Afghanistan and decided to throw our house in Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia up on Airbnb and HomeAway and quickly realized, no surprise, there's a big need for furnished short-term accommodations around military bases. And so came back and got another one and another one. And that's kind of what got us started and then started moving to other bases and doing it in other locations. So that's where I got started and it's evolved over time. And we've now got properties in multiple states, all basically short-term rentals. We have a few long-term rentals, but mostly all short-term rentals, mainly single family, some multifamily, but mostly single family. And, you know, it's pretty much all what we would call utility focused or non-vacation markets. 
and we worked in a variety of models. We managed just for third parties. So say you've got a property you want managed, it's in a market where we operate. We'll look at coming in and managing that for you. We work with more institutional style investors who want to put a lot of capital to work and we'll come in and help them identify properties, underwrite those properties, close on them, renovate them, furnish them, get them up and running. And then we do some rental arbitrage as well, where we'll sign master long-term leases and turn around and sublease. And then recently what we've started looking at doing is working with other operators who may be in one or two markets who are looking to partner with a larger operator, sell or do a partial equity investment or something of that sort. We like working with those folks and helping them grow their businesses in partnership with us. Joe, you were saying before the interview that you guys have shifted your focus recently from acquiring property to operate to acquiring short-term rental operators. Our listeners are going to be familiar with what's happened to property values and the demand in 2023. Tell us a little more, though, about that shift from acquiring property to acquiring operating companies. While we have a slightly different revenue model and operating model than a traditional 12-month rental company, nonetheless, we're still impacted by the same macro factors of home prices, interest rates, and rising costs, whether it be cleaning or maintenance or any of those other forms of labor services. And then and rising tax rates to go along with increasing property values. So that's all of those things combined with an increase in supply in the short-term rental market, which is, there has been continued to be increasing demand. It's just supply growth is in many cases outpaced demand growth. So those collectively have made it a challenge to make new deals pencil, at least at the scale that we needed in order to retain the capacity to do that underwriting, those acquisitions, the renovation, and the furniture install. So all of that basically said, we're not able to acquire at the scale and density that we need in order to support those verticals. And instead, are we better off looking at trying to acquire contracts or other management companies who might be looking to exit or shift focus? So that's where we've started looking in light of just the challenges to real estate acquisitions in general. That makes sense. And our listeners are fairly familiar with the challenges in real estate acquisitions in general. Over 550 units now, is it still primarily in markets or in locations that serve military bases and the demand created by military bases? That's still the primary focus, but not the exclusive focus. Gotcha. Well, Joe, I'm down to only having one short-term rental myself here in Cincinnati. I do have only a couple apartments now that I rent out long-term to arbitragers who furnish them and then put them up on sites like Airbnb. That number has dwindled recently. And I got to tell you, I appreciate my minimal exposure to the short-term rental market at the moment. It's just enough exposure that I work with a very high caliber short-term rental manager who is doing all of the operations, but also doing all of the market analysis, not only on greater Cincinnati, but also Cincinnati in particular, the neighborhood in particular that my 
unit is in, and then the short-term and medium-term rental markets in general across the country with companies like AirDNA. So I want to ask you specifically what you're experiencing across your portfolio, but let me start by laying a foundation for the conversation. You're the expert here, Joe, please correct me where I'm wrong, but what's generally happening in the short-term rental market right now is that demand is up, but supply of short-term rental units is up even more, leading to what I saw in the most recent study being that average daily rates have actually ticked up slightly through 2023 on a year-over-year basis, but bookings are down occupancy on a nightly rate is down. And that means that rev par is down as well. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think that you've seen demand is up, supply is up a lot more. People are hesitant to pull their prices back down from an ADR perspective relative to what they've had in the past and probably not incorrectly, right? I mean, if what you say is that there is more demand for the product, then what makes sense from a cost perspective is that occupancy has just gone down. And so ADRs have held relatively constant, as you mentioned, and occupancy has declined, which has resulted in an overall small decline in RevPAR. And where you see those impacts the least are in highly regulated markets, where there's a government restriction on supply or at least a new supply, and where you see it have the most impact is in fully unregulated market where there's no permitting or other policies in place to restrict supply. With as many markets as you all are working in, I'm curious, how acute is it with regards to the level of regulation? Is it simply that the more regulated short-term rentals are, the more stringent the licensure requirements, the less that supply has skyrocketed over the last couple of years, and therefore the more vibrant the market is for current license holders and in places where anyone can throw anything up on a short-term rental website without municipal regulation that's where investors or operators returns are getting crushed the most yes in short if there is no constraint on supply then you've seen supply grow the fastest can you give us a couple of examples yeah pensacola is a good example Probably Pensacola is like ground zero in some respects because there's already a large number of second homes. And then the combination of that and no regulatory constraints resulted in a huge increase in supply. On the flip side, a place like Savannah, which has full caps that have been met for some time, has seen significantly less dramatic impact. And then other heavily impacted markets would be ones, at least where we operate, would be like Mobile or Birmingham, where you have low cost of homes, probably don't have a shortage of housing inventory, unlike a Huntsville would be a market where the greater Huntsville metro, where there's been less of an impact because they have a tight regulatory regime and they have a tight housing market. So the other indicator you will see in terms of how quickly supply and demand corrects itself is based on how hot the real estate market is. So if people are sitting on homes that have appreciated significantly in value and all of a sudden their revenues have declined significantly, 
they're more apt to go ahead and sell and lock in the equity value that they've built in the home and stem the challenges that they're facing from a month over month operating standpoint versus a market which may not have seen as much at home price appreciation. And as a result, owners of the properties are more hesitant to sell and are more apt to try to continue to push through. Joe, that's an interesting point. This is much more of a residential real estate conversation than a commercial one. But there are a lot of homeowners and small unit count, like one to four unit rental owners, who have felt locked into their properties because they feel like they're locked into that 3% interest rate. And there's a sentiment that the kinds of interest rates that were available during COVID are gone forever, or at least gone for a very long time. So those are investments that people should just stick it out with instead of redeploying that capital elsewhere. Do you get the feeling that the operators who are struggling to perform financially on their short-term rentals, do you expect to see more of them sell their properties if interest rates continue to decrease? Yes. I think if you see reductions in interest rates, it will make it more likely for people to be able to sell their home at a price point that they think it'll allow home prices, holding things constant, home prices should tick up a little bit. Maybe you'd say, well, more inventory comes online. Because if you're an investor, the fundamental challenge, and I mean, I face this in my own portfolio as I've looked at things I would like to sell, because in some cases, values well over doubled off of what we paid for it. But then it's, what do I 1031 into? And there's not been a clear narrative. I haven't seen at least in the real estate asset classes that I'm familiar with, a significant enough drop to justify leaving my 3.7% interest rate and facing recapture, or if not that, redeploying it into another asset and having to pay the transaction costs of that, and then winding up with a higher interest rate and presumably a operating model that's equally as challenged. So I guess that's a long way of saying it's unclear to me whether declining interest rates will have a significant impact on the short-term rental industry. And I would say it's hard to imagine them having whatever impact you see on single-family rental in general, I would think would also be reflected in short-term rentals because ultimately what we're talking about is a supply question. I don't think it'll have a meaningful impact on demand. So the question is, if you reduce interest rates, you could see more people being willing to buy short-term properties that they would operate as short-term rentals. By the same token, you would see potentially people who have short-term rentals and who want to exit them now believing that because the interest rate is lower, they can list them and get a higher price for them to justify going ahead and selling. So that could lead you to believe that supply would exit and as a result, occupancy would increase. So I think it's hard to fully anticipate which way it will go. Ultimately, my view is, is that short-term rentals are in the early innings of what single-family rentals were, which is a rocky road towards institutionalization. And you see these wild up and down swings of a lot of inventory leaves the market. Then the market comes back. People make a ton of money 
more inventory enters, goes back down again. And it's this cyanic wave that you see in all industries. But the more nascent the industry is, the bigger the swings tend to be versus the more established the industry is in general, the narrower the swings. And so what I think you'll see is a 2020 bust was probably one of the biggest busts that we'll see. The 2021 boom was probably one of the biggest booms that we'll see. The later half 2022, 2023 bust, not as bad as the 2020 bust, but pretty bad. I think you'll see supply exit and there'll be a recovery. And then in sometime latter part of 2024, 2025, you'll see a recovery. Won't come back to 2021 levels. And you'll start to see it level out over the course of the next five to 10 years of these fluctuations between boom and bust cycles. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's still a very new concept and investment vehicle. So the volatility of it and the volatility meaning the short lifespan of a market cycle being sometimes just a year or a year and a half, that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing I would just say is that because they're not 12-month leases, the cycles can respond much quicker for the better or worse. Your downsides can show up a lot faster, but your upsides can arise faster too. Because average booking window, at least in utility markets, is maybe 20 days out, maybe 30 days out if you've got a strategy that's more focused on longer term stuff. But it's a short booking window. So prices can reset, inventory can reset all those supply and demand characteristics that may take 18, 24 months to sort themselves out in a more longer tenancy scenario can adjust for better or worse quickly in a short-term scenario. Joe, for our listeners who have short-term rentals or even are operating short-term rentals, chances are they've experienced that softening in the market that you referenced the last year and a half. If they want to continue to use their property for short-term rental purposes. What advice do you have for increasing revenue and maintaining profits in the coming year, 2024? Assuming you've got what, a couple listings probably in a market? Was that the question? Yeah, I'm not talking about operators with 20 plus. I'm talking about people who have individual listings possibly their own vacation home, or they've bought a few single families or smaller multifamilies in their home market, and they either operate or they have a manager, but they want to stay in short-term rentals. What advice do you have for helping them generate higher revenue, maintain cash flow during a low point in the market cycle? Yeah. So you need to get more eyeballs on your property. How do you do that? One way is maintaining good review scores on the platforms you operate. The other way to do it is just to increase the number of platforms that you list on. So we list across 18 different OTAs and platforms at this point, and we have our own direct channels, work with corporations, with booking agencies. So in theory, the best thing you can do is generate off OTA demand through repeat travel or through working with local drivers of housing needs, universities, hospitals, those sorts of things, and then adding more OTAs to your distribution network. 
and trying to keep your review score high. And then if you have a longer minimum length of stay, let's say the pandemic, you were running a 14 or 30 day minimum stay, you may want to rethink that. It's a lot more of a hassle and pain in the butt to accept two and three day stays and they can be more party risk and more demanding as guests, but it's a way to push occupancy. Last question here before we transition the conversation again. Within your portfolio, have you transitioned towards attracting more medium-term guests, 30-plus, 30 to 100-day, one- to four-month guests for your furnished rentals during the off-season? Yeah. We don't necessarily fully commit to a 30-plus day stay in the sense that we won't allow someone to book it on shorter term, but we may adjust the windows to say, hey, we'll only take a two or three day booking if it's last minute. And if you're booking, we don't want a two night reservation a month or two from now. We want to be able to try to capture a long-term reservation. So managing minimum length of stay requirements based on seasonality is a key part. Joe, it's been great catching up with you. I know it's been quite a while since we last spoke. Yours was one of my first interviews for the Best Ever Podcast, actually. So we're going to skip the lightning round, but I do want to ask, along these same lines, Joe, for our listeners, what is your best ever advice? Stay focused and learn your niche or your market or whatever you do and be the best rubber eraser maker that there is out there. I think that certainly one of my biggest weaknesses that I have to try to avoid is bouncing around to too many different great ideas and really trying to stay disciplined and focused on one or two. Excellent advice for everyone. Joe, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this conversation, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.